just before you start listening to this podcast, a reminder that we have a special subscription offer. You can get 12 issues of The Spectator for £12, as well as a £20 Amazon voucher. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher if you'd like to get this offer. Welcome to Holy Smoke, The Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. As the world's Catholic bishops meet in the Vatican to debate the problems of the Amazon Basin at the so-called Amazon Synod, they're still digesting news of problems just a few yards away. Last week, Vatican police raided the Vatican's own money-laundering watchdog. Meanwhile, prosecutors have seized documents, computers, telephones, passports and blocked bank accounts in another raid on the administrative section of the Vatican Secretariat of State. It seems to be a dirty business. The Italian press say police want to know more about a multi-million pound real estate transaction in Mayfair. And significantly, all the documents seized reportedly relate to the years when Cardinal Angelo Becciu, a close papal ally, was running the Secretariat of State's offices. In this episode of Holy Smoke, I'm joined by the theologian, parish priest and Vatican martyr, Father Alexander Lucy Smith, whom I caught up with in the first couple of days of the Amazon Synod. We discussed the mounting chaos in Rome and touched on the question of what John Henry Newman, who will be canonised during the Synod, would have made of it. But as I said to Father Lucy Smith, we can't hope to get to the bottom of the scandals because the mainstream media allow Vatican spokesmen to dissimulate and sometimes lie as readily as any political spin doctor. I suggested that more than ever during this so-called reforming pontificate of Francis, Rome is in the grips of what I would certainly call a culture of deceit. I think the key word actually is not deceit, it's a lack of transparency. I mean, you talk about this latest raid in the Vatican, these five people have been suspended and been taken away and so on and so forth. Go back last year with a guy who was Libero Milone, who was supposed to be investigating financial corruption in the Vatican, was in fact sacked from his job on the grounds that he was spying, i.e. just doing his job, particularly spying on Archbishop or Cardinal Becciu. It's all very, very complex. There is obviously some sort of turf war going on in the Vatican financial machinery. One of the problems with the Vatican is there's not one section that's in charge of the money. They're rival and competing sections, says the Vatican Bank. There's something called APSA, which is um, the property holding company that looks after the what's called the patrimony of the Holy See. And then, of course, there's the governorate of the Vatican and so on and so forth. Now, it's this divide and rule thing. They don't want somebody being one section being too powerful. The attempt to have a secretariat for the economy has more or less collapsed, I think. But Damien, you know, the lack of transparency goes way back. Go back to when both you and I were teenagers and that chap was found dangling under Blackfriars Bridge. We still don't know why, who, what, what this went wrong with that. Roberto Calvi. We don't know anything about who did in Roberto Calvi. What was his connection with the Vatican Bank? What was his connection with the Freemasons? What was his connection with Archbishop Marcinkus? And of course, I've mentioned the word Freemasons and every single conspiracy theory and it Italians love conspiracy theories better than anybody else, flies in through the window. We just don't know. It's really worrying. Well, we just don't know 
we live in an age of social media in which the sort of information that the National Catholic Register has reported circulates very freely among the faithful, particularly those faithful who are critical of the Vatican, whoever might be Pope, and um, widely discussed. But what I find intensely frustrating as a journalist is that what are really very, very big stories involving arguably the world's oldest institution and one of the largest institutions, perhaps the second largest after the Chinese Red yes. Army, I don't know, go uninvestigated. No. Now, this would be inconceivable yes. if we were talking about an American president on whose powers there are significant checks and balances. There aren't significant checks and balances on the power of the Pope <clears throat> and very few on the power of his officials. Mm-hmm. And yet, confronted by evidence of serious fraud, serious cooperation with the Mafia, and outright lies told by people up to the very highest levels in the church, the mainstream media isn't interested. And I find this extraordinary. That is absolutely extraordinary. There are two things I would comment on here. First of all, we've got the Italian way of doing things. Now, as many people have pointed out, the Italian way of doing things has been abandoned even in Italy, but it hangs on in the Vatican. The Italian way of doing things is leave it to us or we know what we're doing. Um, We can't talk about it. It's all confidential, etc., etc. This idea of confidentiality, which they call it confidentiality, we'd call it obsessive secrecy, is part of the Italian way of doing things. And of course, we've also got, not just in finances, but also in the formulation of church um, approaches to all sorts of things, the pontifical secret and so on. I mean, they may presumably keep minutes of the various meetings they hold in the Vatican, but these are never published and so on. So we're all in the dark. Well, Um, and the lack of transparency, as you say, doesn't just apply to financial transactions. It applies to everything, including church teaching. For example, the Pope hasn't really told us what he thinks about divorced and remarried people receiving communion. He pretended or claimed not to remember the footnote in which he'd apparently given permission for this and is refusing to answer questions about what he knew about the activities of a disgusting sexual predator, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Ex-Cardinal. Ex-Cardinal now, and this he's, he's been stripped of his Cardinal's role and everything is supposed to be all right, except that the Pope won't tell us yeah. what he knew. When the Pope was elected, there was a general expectation that he would reform things, and I shared in that expectation. But it wasn't long before I came to the conclusion, I tweeted at the time, that the only effect that the election of um, Bergoglio as, as Pope would have would, would be to give a Latin American flavour to corruption at the Vatican. And it's looking that way. We see allies of the Pope who appear completely unsuited to particular roles being given those jobs as a reward for their loyalty because this Pope prizes loyalty above everything else. And one example is the recent appointment of Bishop Mario Greg of Gozo, Malta, to be the new Secretary General of the Synod of Bishops, which is a very powerful position. You grew up in Malta, Father. Yeah. And... I'd heard that Bishop Grech was an extremely controversial person, not necessarily the sort of person likely to create an atmosphere of unity at a synod of bishops. What was your reaction when you heard of the appointment? Um, I was, I've met 
Monsignor Greg, he's absolutely charming. Um, I was dismayed when I heard that Monsignor Greg had been catapulted to this very high position in the church. Monsignor Greg, after all, was bishop of a tiny diocese. The diocese of Gozo has got a population of about 28,000 people. It consists of about 12 parishes. Um, clearly, he was a very big fish in a very small pond, but there's nothing in Monsignor Greg's curriculum vitae that suggests that he is ready to take on a massive organisational role, such as being the secretary to the Synod of Bishops, which is one of the most important roles in the Catholic Church. It is a very, very surprising role. Monsignor Grec, in the time of Pope Benedict XVI, was massively conservative. He suggested that when they had the recent divorce referendum in Malta, that anybody who voted for divorce should not be allowed to receive communion. Then, with uh, Pope Francis, he changed somewhat, and he put forward these guidelines about receiving Holy Communion for the divorced and remarried, which suggested that if you were quiet in your conscience about receiving Holy Communion, you could go ahead and receive Holy Communion. The other thing about Monsignor Craig's Diocese of Gozo is it hasn't been a particularly happy place. Some years ago, it was rumoured that Monsignor Greg was going to be transferred to the Archdiocese of Malta. The clergy there rose up saying they didn't want him. They found him too heavy-handed. He's not really a unifier. The other thing is, sadly, when it comes to the absolutely essential thing that the world will be looking for, namely a squeaky clean record in handling child abuse cases, there have been questions raised about Monsignor Greg's handling of priests who have been accused of child abuse. Well, because, because we're constrained by English libel law, we, we, we better leave it there, although there's no there. suggestion that, no. that the Monsignor himself has been no. involved in any of these crimes. But it does rather lend support to the notion that the culture of jobs for the boys yeah. is yeah. thriving more vigorously than ever. Mm. Now, all this, this is happening, this raid on the Secretary of State, this bizarre but also in some ways predictable appointment during the Amazon Synod and also the canonization of John Henry Newman, which is happening in the middle of this gathering of the world's bishops to discuss the problems of the Amazon Basin, about which they know next to nothing and about which they will be spouting forth the dreariest halo-polishing platitudes. I saw on Twitter you say father, that you weren't following the Amazon Synod, and I understood exactly why. It will be so tedious, mm. it will be so annoying, mm. and it will have zero consequences for the future of the Catholic Church. But just let me ask you, why aren't you following it? Well, you know, Damien, I've been there before. I, after all, have worked in a third world country for a number of years. You were I'm, a missionary? I, I was in, a missionary in Kenya. In Kenya, actually, for, Kenya for four years. For four years. Uh, teaching yes. in the seminary. Which was um, dangerous. Uh, yes, yeah. and um, don't forget, I am the son of a South American mother. Yeah. Um, so, although not from Brazil, but from Chile. And the other thing is, I'm a theologian. And all these things, I think, um, rather put me off going down this Amazonian route, getting into a dugout canoe and floating down that river. No thanks. My heart sinks when I think of the Amazonian student. I'm really sorry. I've, I'm afraid to say I have to put my hand on my heart. I've lost confidence in this sort of thing. Now, David, I'd just like to take you back to something we've just discussed before. When I was a youngster in the church, somebody said to me, I asked some questions or something, somebody said to me, look, you've got to understand... We, the foot soldiers of the church, we're like mushrooms. Um, we're kept in the dark. Every now and then, somebody, op your door opens, there's a sh 
a beam of light, and a whole load of manure is flung. Yet it's one of the oldest yes, lines in the, the book. Keeping in the dark and feeding bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and nothing much has changed since then. Now, there's one group of people in the church who won't take this. I mean, people like me will take it because we've been, we've been used to it for so many years. But the one group of people who don't like this sort of thing are, of course, the Americans, and the Americans have the money. The lack of transparency in the Vatican is costing the Vatican shed loads of cash. The donations in America are collapsing at a rate of knots. In America, thanks to this scandal of Theodore McCarrick and other people, and also thanks to the fact that they've seen no coherent and robust response to these scandals, rather a sort of a doubling down, sort of defending the people until it's too late and then they have to be ejected, uh, thrown overboard and so on. Thanks to that, the cash is drying up. Now, uh, the Vatican relies, the Catholic Church in general, relies on two sources of cash, the Americans and the German speakers, the Austrians, Germans and Swiss Germans. If you also look at Germany, the amount of people paying the church tax is collapsing. So the people in Germany are not putting their hand in their pockets. They're actually choosing not to give money to the Catholic Church. That's what one's got to follow. One's got to follow the money. Now, this shows how deeply in Stuck the entire Vatican is. We haven't mentioned the canonization of John Henry Newman. Now, by rights, I should be doing a separate episode of Holy Smoke on that, on him, and perhaps I should, but I'm slightly reluctant to because the event seems to be so obviously stage-managed to distract attention from the chaos of the Synod and to push a liberal agenda which I don't think Newman himself would have recognised or endorsed. Any thoughts on that? The lack of irony is astonishing. Of course, certain cultures don't really understand irony, and many of our Italian brethren don't understand irony. During the family synod, when they were talking about pushing through communion for the divorced and remarried, they canonised Pope Paul VI, who is, of course, the great defender, the great holder of the line against the permissive society, particularly with his 1968 encyclical against artificial birth control. So they, they canonised the Pope who held the line while they themselves were blurring the line. I won't say they were breaking the line, they were blurring the line. Now, with John Henry Newman, John Henry Newman is the man who said, I have fought against liberalism all my life. And, of course, he defined liberalism as the idea that all religious thoughts were subjective, they were just opinions. He said, no, they're objective, they really exist, God really exists, it isn't just what I feel. You know, this modern thing, we say facts don't care about your feelings. He put religion in the zone of fact, not the zone of feeling. And, of course, what we've got now in the church, something that Newman, I think, would be horrified by, namely a theology that is based on feeling rather than on objectivity and um, objective divine revelation. Well, a theology that is based on feeling, but also a theology based in political factions, if you like. One of the things that seems to be coming out of the Amazon Synod from the working document, which, of course, I haven't been following and I haven't read the working document, is this idea that the Amazon Basin has something to special to tell the rest of the world. That somehow or another... Well, it is surely you've read the working document. It's I hilarious. Have. It's a comic masterpiece. I've bang on mm. enough about that. But I mean, I'm just wondering what John Henry Newman famously no. said, that he would toast the Pope, but conscience first. first. Well, now, it, I'm wondering what he would have made of the current pontificate. I don't know. Um, I, I, I well, really of course, don't. of course, we don't know. We don't, but don't. perhaps you could um, speculate. I'm not sure he would have been uh, particularly happy about this. Um, I think that 
divine revelation, Catholic truth, is Catholic truth everywhere. Catholic means universal. If we are going to visit the Amazon in search of Catholic truth, let's hope that the truth that comes out is Catholic. That is to say that it is something that applies to the whole world and not something that is just particular to the Amazon. Can the Amazon teach us here in Europe something that we don't know already? I don't know about that. One of the things that Newman would be very much against is the following of fads. The church does follow fads, I'm afraid, and the terrible thing is it picks up on fads when these fads have really gone out of fashion everywhere else. I mean, people were going on about indigenous people and the Amazon and so on and so forth. Not that I'm saying that indigenous people and the Amazon are not important, you understand. But this was very much a 1970s. Absolutely. It reminds me yeah. of those middle-aged men I mean, including my father, mm. um, who, you know, who grew sideburns, oh. as they're now called, we used to call them sideboards, you know, five years after the uh, after yeah. pop stars were growing them. Yeah. Even Edward Heath yeah. sported a daringly bouffant, insofar yeah. as he could manage one hairstyle, for a couple of years in the early 70s, and it slightly yeah. reminds me of I mean, that. It's, it's a bit like turning up for a bus that left half an hour ago from the bus station. Honestly, if you wanted to have a synod, which would be really important for the church, and let's have a synod on finances. How do we finance the church? And what do we do with the money we have? How do we invest it? How do we look after it? And so on. Do we really need a Vatican Bank? All those sort of things. How can we ensure transparency? How can we ensure proper accounting, proper auditing of accounts and so on? All rather boring things. That could be something to be discussed. Well, these, these are questions that we expected this Pope to address. Now, he hasn't. It will have to be done. These, these are not partisan questions. They could be addressed by any sort of Pope, so long as he's honest. Mm big caveats mm. there. We'll have to wait till the next pontificate, perhaps. We've been, we've been painting a very depressing picture of a collapsing Catholic culture, and having just read Stephen Bullivant's brilliant book, Mass Exodus, I can only say that it's an accurate picture because the, the overall record of church attendance in Western Europe and America is, is basically a you know, mass attendance falling off a cliff mm. since the 1960s, so you can't blame it on Bergoglio. Mm. Added to that, I've noticed a particular disheartening of the Catholic faithful over the last couple of years as the scandals from Rome and the scandals reaching Rome and then being ignored mm. have become increasingly noxious. And quite a few faithful Catholics just deciding that they're not Catholics anymore and that they can't muster up the belief that they once could and stopping going to Mass. Mm. You're a parish priest yourself. Have you picked this up yourself? Uh, yes and no. I think on the one hand, I would say that the vast majority of Catholics in the pew don't give two hoots about what goes on in the Vatican. It just doesn't, it's not on their radar. But many Catholics who talk to me and many clergy who talk to me, although let's be clear, I only speak on my own behalf, um, are very disheartened. I think uh, morale is... It's easy to say at an all-time low. If you do say that, of course, you're tempting fate because it would just go lower, couldn't it? But my morale is not particularly high. When I was younger, in the time of John Paul II, I loved John Paul II. I didn't really like John Paul II that much. No, I really loved him. I mean, I I thought, you know, he was a bit like my father. You know, he really annoyed me in many ways, but I did love him. And, of course, I was a great fan of Pope Benedict. I thought Pope Benedict was a wonderful person, so on. But that wasn't because of the cult of personality of the popes, which isn't a good thing, by the way. But rather, one got the impression that the church was on the right path, on an upward trajectory. Although the figures actually told a yeah. very, very yeah, different story, but, but they the were ignored. Yes. was, was okay. good. I mean, right. under John Paul II, being a Catholic was quite an exciting thing to be. Now, it's 
Well, one scandal after another. We talked about Roberto Calvi dangling under the bridge. Well, that was a long time ago, and you'd have thought that things would have got better by now, but it's one scandal after another. This latest scandal of people being arrested in the Vatican, it's just a very long, very boring soap opera, and everybody's left the room because they can no longer follow the plot. Well, I'd say something different, which is everybody's left the room because they're not actually aware that the show is on, because it's not on television, because from the point of view of the current regime in the Vatican, which is not all that different from the previous regime in the Vatican, let's make it clear, a lot of the same corrupt people hold the reins of power. From their point of view, the media is in safe hands. They don't want to report anything to the discredit of a pope whom they have decided is warm and cuddly, yeah. which is the... Having, I've seen him at close quarters at the very last thing he is, let me assure well, you. Well, could I just get back to what I said about the Italian way of doing things? In Italy, the clergy see the newspapers, the press, as the enemy. Now, they say, ah, there is the Catholic press, the Catholic-run newspaper Avenire, which is owned by the Bishop's Conference, and then there are... Uh, newspapers are friendly to the former Christian Democrat Party and so on, they're okay. And then the largest selling magazine in Italy is something called Familia Cristiana, Christian Family, which is um, published by a, a religious order. But then, of course, there are the people who are out to get us, namely Repubblica, which is Italy's most respected newspaper, I suppose, in many ways. Repubblica is an anti-clerical paper. It's out to get us. It hates us. It is the inheritor of the anti-clerical tradition. And don't forget, the anti-clerical tradition in Europe is pretty nasty. I mean, these are the people who, in 1848, shot 12 priests dead in the square outside uh, Santa Maria in Trastevere. Let me stop you for a second and say that yeah. you know, th- these left-wing anti-clericals mm. do not seem to be the people with whom the Pope has the biggest problems. He has the no. biggest problems no. with people he would call conservative populists. Yes. They are the enemy as far as he's concerned. Yes, um, that's true. Mr. Savini um, is clearly the enemy as far as the Pope is concerned. But the majority of Italian Catholics are on the side of Salvini. And in fact, when yeah. I was in Rome earlier this year, I picked up a certain amount of popular anger at Pope Francis for trying to interfere against Salvini in the Italian democratic process. One of the things is, when there is a financial scandal in the Vatican, the Vatican would not normally say, well, we're open to investigation, please come in and audit our books. They would circle the wagons. They say, these people are out to get us, we must circle the wagons. They're very defensive. And the idea that we should be, the Catholic Church should be, Uh, subject to public scrutiny is anathema to them. So to try and wrap up a fascinating but I think necessarily rather messy discussion. Wide-ranging. It's wide-ranging. I think you could say it is a necessary but not sufficient condition for reform of the church that a specific Italian culture is dismantled and it has not happened under this half-Italian pope. The reason... Pope Francis was elected is because, um, I remember I appeared on television the night he was elected, he was essentially elected to clean up the mess in the Vatican because it was thought the Vatican civil service was out of control. And this goes back to the idea of John Paul II was always away and therefore he didn't sit at his desk and make sure all these people did their jobs and so on. And also under Pope Benedict, a lot of people were promoted who weren't any good at their jobs. Now, that sort of thing was what he was elected to do. However, I think some people would say the only person who can clean up the Vatican is in fact an Italian, because an Italian really understands what's happening. And it's got to be somebody like Cardinal Parolin, who's an Italian, who's un uomo di ufficio. Oh, good God, really? Uh, There's a really good chance that Parolin... 
That doesn't mean it's a good thing. There may be a chance he's elected Pope. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. Parolin has presided over, for example, the appalling concordat with China. He shouldn't be be a priest, let alone a cardinal, I would say. Parolin is going to be the next Pope, or else it's going to be the the anybody-but-Parolin candidate. Parolin is an administrator. He's a bureaucrat in a good sense. He spends hours behind his desk. He's a uomo di ufficio. He's always in his office where we're not gadding around the well, world. Well, I don't care because he signed this disgusting yeah, deal with yeah, China. So This is you know. true. Although the signing of the deal with China is rather, a, maybe, a, you know, I'll be falling into the sin of racism here, rather okay. an Italian, indeed Italianate thing to do. In fact, even possibly Machiavellian, wouldn't you say? But somebody who can clean up the Vatican has got to be somebody who knows where the bodies are buried and who can and who knows what's what. I think we should wrap this up, Father, before our own bodies are buried. (laughs) I know. Damien, what did you make me do? Father Alexander Lucy Smith, thank you very much.